Your weekend begins in Crystal Palette's wine country with sommelier Crystal Cameron Shad. Every week, Crystal takes your palate on a journey from the vineyard to the glass and opens your mind to the endless choices that await your next sip. Uncork your passion starting now on your trip through wine country on Seaville 1075 and 1260 WCHV. And good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Crystal Cameron Shad, and I am so excited about today's program. We're going back to the beginning of Virginia viticulture to explore the history and legacy of Thomas Jefferson and Philip Matze and what it's like to walk in their footsteps to create a new generation of viticulture in the heart of Virginia. My guests today are Attila Woodward, owner of Jefferson Vineyards and winemaker extraordinaire, Chris Ritzkoven. I think I said your name correctly, right? That's correct. Yes, thank you. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for uh, stopping by the studio today. Thank you for having us. So I always like to kind of start off with uh, getting to know you a little bit better. And I love to uh, hear how you got into the wine business or what your first maybe wine epiphany was. And maybe Chris, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, sure. I, I've been at Jefferson Vineyards. I first started about 10 years ago, and I've been the winemaker for the last four years. In between, I had a short um, stint at grad school as well. But I grew up in a family of do-it-yourselfers, and that includes everything from gardening to canning your own foods and making your own wine in the in the garage, destemming on the on the driveway. So always been a part of my life and a little magic potion there in the garage going on with the fermentation yeah (laughs) something like that and sometimes some some magic pops once Mm -hmm. the bottles explode every once in a while but it's a good way to learn and so that was my first experience and then I went I went to EVA graduated in 2006 and prior to prior to graduate school I was looking for something fun and different before I went to architecture school and I ended up at Jefferson Vineyards and a bit of an accident. It was never my intention was to be a landscape architect. Okay. And um, well, you're kind of in that <laughs> kind of in that mode, right? I love working with my hands, and it's sort of just a different different media. Um, That's awesome. You know, so you've kind of you can say you've always kind of had it in your blood. Then it's always been in my blood, That's and awesome. and working outside and work with my hands has always been um, something I've enjoyed, and I just fell in love with it and. Here you are. Went to grad school, came back, and it's it's been my life ever since. Fantastic. And what about you, Attila? I always love hearing people's story, and sometimes it's that first sip of something they had, or it's a journey, or sometimes it's just an evolution. So I'd love to hear uh, how you got into the business or what your first uh, wine experience was. Sure. Well, um, I was fortunate and lucky to um, belong to a family that started a vineyard. Um, so it kind of fell uh, uh, in my lap. Uh, I'm one of five siblings. Okay. Uh, so we, there are other brothers and sisters um, who own Jefferson Vineyards. Um, they've all placed their trust and empowerment in me, so I'm very grateful to them for that. Um, but my first paid job ever was with Gabrielli Rousey in 1988 and 89. Okay. Um, you know, that was more than three decades mm-hmm. ago. When um, there weren't so many vineyards in Virginia. No, there were not that many. I mean, I think you could count them with uh, the two hands sure. uh, at that time. And, uh, you know, I was working with Gabrielli in, in, in the vineyards. That's a really great place to start because wine comes from, uh, from the earth. Um, and Farming for flavors, right? Yes. Um, and so, but my career took me to uh, Asia, to Africa, Europe. Um, my background is in business management and marketing. So in 2013, I, my father uh, did a very brave move with his uh, wife and said, uh, it's your turn now to the next generation. 
Um, and so uh, I had some prior experience at Simeon Vineyards, which was later renamed Jefferson Vineyards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came to Virginia to help with the work. And here you are. Yes. And we'll uh, get into uh, that in the future of Jefferson. But let's go back a little bit to the beginning. Of course, this is only a 30-minute show, so we can't get too, 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 we can't go too long with all the history. But obviously, you have big shoes to fill when you think about just the history and the legacy of the land that your family owns. Uh, so talk a little bit about um, your, well, let's go back to the beginning. And just if you can just kind of give our audience, uh, if you're not familiar, a little bit background about uh, the land. Like many parts in Virginia, uh, the, our estate is full of history. Jefferson had a lot to do with that history. There was an Italian gentleman called Philippe Matzei, and uh, he was persuaded by uh, several colonists, including uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, whom he met in London, uh, to come to uh, Virginia and set up an agricultural company. And uh, the story goes that en route to his promised plot of land, which was in Augusta County, uh, he spent a night at Monticello. Uh, Jefferson befriended him and persuaded him in one night to become his neighbor. Uh, he gave him 193 acres of the Monticello estate, um, which is where our present land is. Um, and together they founded a uh, a wine company, which was mostly led by Philip Matzei, but Jefferson had a big part in, in uh, getting other shareholders to invest in that company. Um, and so that is the birthplace of American commercial winemaking um, as it relates to the Virginia colony, but uh, we believe that, that it is the birthplace of commercial winemaking in this country. And if you look at, uh, for those of you uh, that, that know your history well or don't know your history well, Jefferson was obviously a connoisseur of wine. He was an ambassador to France under George Washington right. and really fell in love with the vineyards of France, uh, particularly Montrachet and, I believe, uh, Givry-Champartin. Uh, so he really wanted to see that thrive here in America. And one of my favorite quotes of Jefferson is, By making this wine known to the public, I have rendered my country as great a service as if I had paid back mm. the national debt. That's a pretty awesome quote. Um, so he was so passionate about it, but he wasn't able to uh, produce wine here. Obviously, things have changed in the past couple hundred years. Talk about, you know, after, so Matze was involved, they had uh, vines planted uh, on the estate that you currently, your family currently owns. Um, There's about a 200-year gap where there was really no viticulture at all. So talk about the destruction of the vines and then maybe transition into your family's involvement in the 1930s. Sure. So just just to add one more thing about Matze, um, Matze comes or came from a family that had been producing wine for centuries in Italy. In fact, we met the Matze family in 2013. We had dinner with them. They still own, um, I believe it's uh, two or three wineries uh, in Italy. Uh, we actually met a Philippe Matze at that Very dinner. Cool. Or Filippo, right? <laughs> or Filippo Matze. But Matze was more than, offered more than just planting vines. Um, he spoke many languages. He was very cultured. And so, like Jefferson, they collaborated on numerous endeavors outside of the vines. And so, in uh, 78, I believe it was, or maybe after 76 or 77, uh, Jefferson requested that Matze go to Europe to raise funds for the Revolutionary War. Um, and so, with that came the neglect and the destruction of the vines that had been planted. Mm-hmm. They also faced uh, frost, a severe frost. I think it was in seventy four or seventy five. Okay. And so, uh, Chris may be able to say something more about how our how our Virginia land reacts to to that uh, a bit and, later on. And we'll get into that. We'll uh, spend some uh, great deal of time on the next uh, segment talking about the 
current viticulture state. So yeah. absolutely. So so just fast forwarding to uh, 1981, my uh, my grandfather and grandmother at that time had uh, 700 acres of land, um, and my guess, I never talked to them directly about this, but my guess and what I've heard is that they wanted to plant grapes so they would have their own label privately. Okay. Um, and this is what Gabriele Rousey has also told me. Um, he was our uh, first winemaker. And, and a legend in Virginia wine. Yes, so. yes. Um, and so um, there came a point where there was so much wine, and Gabriele came to my grandparents and said, what are we going to do with all this wine? At that point, I think it was probably in 85, 86, it took uh, a different dimension, and they started producing wine commercially for sale. Um, and from there on, it's been, um, you know, three thirty-six years now uh, from a viticultural mm-hmm. point of view that we've been experimenting in the vineyards and making wine and, um, you know, luckily with a lot of wonderful help. and Absolutely. And clearly, you know, looking back at the history, and I know uh, Matze, when he was talking about the land here, I, I believe he had mentioned, I think, to George Washington in a letter that the land here and the climate in Virginia was more suitable than many parts of Italy to grow grapes. That was at least his opinion back in the 1770s. Um, yes, but as we know today, <laughs> right? I know. It's, and, it's... and Chris is smiling right now. <laughs> Uh, because he's doing a lot of the work in the vineyards as yes. well and supervising that. You know, there are many challenges, sure. as you well know, Absolutely. Uh, with Virginia weather. Um, so, Attila, you took over. Um, you kind of, you and you're leading the helm, if you will, as of 2013. And I'd love to hear more about the future coming up in a little bit. Uh, but it wasn't always called Jefferson Vineyards. Mm-hmm. Once the vineyards were established, it was Simeon Vineyards. So talk about where that name come from, where that name came from, and what was the aha moment that said, no, we've got to name this, this place Jefferson. Sure. I mean, that's a very good question. So Simeon Vineyard, Simeon comes from the name of the land. If you look at a map, that land is known as Simeon. You know, when it, I, I'm guessing when it started as a hobby, my grandfather had the, the, the wine label had the picture of Collie on it. But I guess when my father took over, um, there was a change in direction. And, you know, without Jefferson, there wouldn't have been any of this story uh, happening on this land. Uh, not only did Jefferson give 193 acres of his land to Matsey, he also lent the workers who were in the process of building Monticello at that time uh, to build Collie, the house of Matsey. Uh, he was an investor in the comp- in the wine company. He persuaded other people to invest in the wine company. Um, we make wine in the Bordeaux style, so it made a lot of sense to rename uh, the vineyard after the person who was responsible for that history at that time. Jefferson Vineyards. Yes, correct. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more with Chris about the wine philosophy at Jefferson, the wine portfolio, and some things you're excited about working on right now. So stay with us. You're listening to Crystal Palette's Wine Country on Seville 107.5 and 1260 WCHV. It's spring in Virginia, and things are starting to pop, especially corks. April is Virginia Vineyard Month, and it's a great time to get out and find your favorites. Over 260 breathtaking vineyards are rolling out the welcome mat with special tastings, music, and local cuisine. There are world-class wines being made in every region of our state. Just go to virginiawine.org to plan your trip and start popping. 
And welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for staying with us. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about Jefferson Vineyards. We're joined in studio today by uh, one of the owners, Attila Woodward. The Woodward family has been a steward of the land for the past almost 80 years. And also joined by the winemaker, Chris Ritzkoven. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the wine philosophy and some of the uh, wine variety. The being duplicative here, not even drinking wine yet this morning, guys. The not wine, yet. not yet. <laughs> in, in the uh, what's wrong with you guys? Pour some. No, uh, the wine varietals uh, in your portfolio. So let's start a little bit with your wine philosophy at Jefferson. We touched a little bit in the last segment about uh, viticulture in Virginia can be a little challenging depending on where you're located, humidity, spring frost, etc. So, kind of walk us through what your general philosophy is uh, for winemaking. Yeah, sure. We. We strive for consistency and quality with our wines. We we have about 20 acres of vineyard. We grow mostly Bordeaux and Rhone varietals. And what we do is we have three separate levels of wine. We have our, our Painter's Palette series, our our varietal series, and a signature series of, of these wines. On top of that, we also have more premium exclusive wines that we make sort of smaller, smaller batches of. With that... With those three levels, we sort of have different winemaking philosophies for each series. The The goal, like any winemaker, is for the vineyard to do the work. When the grapes come in and are harvested, they don't continue to ripen, continue to um, improve in their quality. So you want as much work done in the vineyard to, to obtain the most quality fruit. The mm-hmm. quality fruit will make the quality wine. Like any, like most winemakers, you want to do the least intervention in the winery, but in our environment, we have the challenges of whether it's spring frost, animal pressure, mm-hmm. maybe a hurricane is coming up and it's going to rain for 10 days. All those factors can make the winemaking process a little more difficult. So we factor that in. We don't um, try to manipulate our wine mm-hmm. as we, and we only use Virginia fruit. We source our, we grow about half of the grapes that we use and source the other half from another vineyard in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I guess in terms of my winemaking philosophy, I'm from Southern New York. I wasn't educated or raised in any sort of prominent wine region, so I don't really have a regional bias or style. Okay. I think in Virginia, we're not California when we shouldn't set that expectation. And, mm-hmm. and we're also not old world style. So we're, we fall somewhere in between. We can have an excellent super hot year in like mm-hmm. 2010 and have a really ripe, great vintage where we can have a 2011 when I think it was Hurricane Irene came in and it rained mm-hmm. the entire month of September, which dilutes some of the So grapes. what do you do in that situation? Uh, we talk a lot about vintage variation um, globally, but in climates like Virginia, we see a lot of vintage variation. So what do you do in a season like 2011 where you have a lot of diluted grapes? Do you, do you, I know you, you do a signature meritage. Do you, do you forego that blend that year? Or do you do non-vintage style? Or how do you compensate for that as a winemaker? You, you make a lot of rosé with the reds. There you go. Well, <laughs> rosé is great. So. Everyone loves rosé, yes. Yeah, in, in 2011, we did not make mer- a meritage blend. We did not make our premium red, which is our estate reserve blend. But I think the vintage variation is, is the beauty of Virginia wine. It creates a very nostalgic product where mm-hmm. the wines from 2010, we had we had wines pushing 16% alcohol. And if you remember 2010, it was hot that year, mm-hmm. the entire year. It was dry and it was hot. If you go to another year like 2014, it was one of the cooler summers we've had. So those wines don't have as much alcohol because the sugar levels are not as high. 
but they really retain their acid and they're a little bit more fruit forward, approachable at, at a younger age and a, and a little more brisk, uh, bright and crisp. I think the vintage variation is great, but in terms of a winemaking philosophy, as I mentioned before, I'm not really trying to recreate a certain mm-hmm. a certain region style. I think Virginia is its own region, and we should reflect that. And so I'm not I'm not really purist with my wines with my with my varietal wines. Mm-hmm. I like to blend, I, and I have no problems blending Riesling or Pinot Gris into my Chardonnay, or even maybe some Chamberson into my Petit Verdot. So let's talk a little bit about blending, because I think it's something the average consumer really doesn't think that much about. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you look at areas like Burgundy, it has to be 100% Pinot Noir, 100% Mm -hmm. Chardonnay. Uh, Then you look at uh, most of America, we only have to have 75% of the varietal to be considered a Cab Merlot, et cetera. So, you know, blending isn't a bad thing. We hear this whole recipe wine is bad, and you're not looking to do recipe wine necessarily, but how does blending benefit you as a winemaker? What blending does is it provides a tool for us to create a consistent quality product, which mm-hmm. is, as a commercial winery, one of you one of your goals. You you don't always have the most ripe or most ripe fruit, so maybe you're missing a little bit of alcohol in something, um, and you want a little bit and you want a little bit more alcohol or body, so you can blend another variety in. Or if it's a really hot year, if you have a very hot days, very hot nights, your grapes in the vineyard are losing the acidity. The acidity mm-hmm. is dropping out. So if you take something like Viognier, which is traditionally not very acidic wine, if you blend in another variety like Petit Rideau, I mean, sorry, Petit Mansing. The other Petit. The, the, other, <laughs> the other Petit everyone loves in Virginia. You can help, you can help create a more balanced wine. Yeah. And you've, um, you have had a lot of success with Viognier. Viognier has been hailed as a state grape of Virginia, Virginia Viognier. Um, a lot of winemakers love it. Some kind of shy away from it a little bit. And I think from a from a from like a restaurant standpoint, I hear a lot of sommeliers say, well, the acidity is not there. But it depends on, like you said, that little bit of blending or picking it at the right state to make sure that acidity is in the wine because acidity is what makes it such a beautiful partner with food. But talk about your style of Viognier. Um, it's a, it's such a beautiful aromatic grape that I think a lot of people don't really understand it until they have it. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a tricky one to pair with food because it can have relatively high alcohol and, and low acidity. And on top of that, the fruit profile is you're looking at peach, apricot, and then a traditionally a very floral, very aromatic exotic. quality. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very exotic, very tropical. So we always like to say you can pair it with spicier dishes, some sort mm-hmm. of Asian fare. But my Viognier is traditionally blended with a few other varietals. I like to put some Petit Mansing in it, as I mentioned, to help balance acidity. Sometimes I'll put in some Chardonnay as well, just to give a little body and structure to the wine. We have about four acres of DNA that we grow and so it's four acres but it's all on separate sites separate separate lots and I ferment all those harvest them in separate lots ferment them in separate lots and so I end up with almost four different wines each time so you really have the opportunity to experiment there to create this universal style kind of each year to make sure you're producing the Jefferson-style Viognier. Yeah, and, and I don't have a recipe with my Viognier besides that I want the final product to to taste good. Be delicious, right? To be delicious. <laughs> I, I, think that's, I think that's the main goal, but right. we, we, want it to, we want it to have those vital characteristics. Mm-hmm. We want the peach. We want the apricot. So my 2015 Viognier has 
Viennet in it. There's Petit Mansang in it, a little bit of Riesling, a hint of Chardonnay. But in years past, I've changed up those proportions. Mm-hmm. If if we're if we need more alcohol, if we need more fruit or more acid, one thing we do a little bit differently with our Viennet is the majority of it is barrel fermented and barrel aged. So, Are you doing neutral oak on that, or a lot of neutral oak, which I think is sort of provides a very definitive flavor profile in our wine that and a really nice round mouthfeel too by mm-hmm. adding that component to it I think and and I have played around with some either new oak or second use oak just to provide some more what I consider to be almost tropical flavors I the reason why I like to put Chardonnay in is sometimes you'll have a lot of the coconut sort of flavors which I think go well with the tropical notes of, mm-hmm. of V&A. And we're, we're talking small additions. I like I like to keep my V&A in the 90% range during my blends, but it's it's part of the fun. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Viognier, I know you uh, have received a lot of accolades for the work that you've been doing on the Viognier. And I believe um, you, you, you're the only Virginia winery to have won uh, double gold medals in a series of international wine competitions from San Francisco. And I think the latest one was this past January, the San Francisco Chronicle Competition. So what, what kind of uh, accolade is that? And what does that mean to you guys? That means that Virginia wines can stand up to the international competition it's the San Francisco Chronicle. It's one of the largest wine competitions in America, and no other Virginia winery had a double gold medal, but we were faced with wines from the Rhone Valley, from California, very prominent, famous wine regions, and and here in Charlottesville, we can we can not only hold our own, but beat them in, in competitions. And of course, we just kind of focused on the Viognier, but you have a very wide, diverse portfolio at Jefferson Vineyards. And we touched upon it a little while ago that you do have a, you have three different tiers, if you will, of your wines. Can you just give our audience a little, a little bit more information on that? You know, when you go to your website, you see the signature, you see the Jefferson series and the Painter's series, um, Painter's Palette series. Yeah, so the Signature Series bottles consist of our Viognier, our Chardonnay Reserve, and our Meritage. Those are our, our premium, two premium whites and most premium red. And then we have the Jefferson Series, which is a varietal series. We make a Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and Chardonnay right now. Sometimes we, depending on the year, we may have different different varieties in there. And then our our third tier is called the, the Painter's Palette. That consists of our Vin Rouge, Vin Blanc, and Rosé. These are sort of playful, fun wines. They're more table wines. We have a little bit of sugar in the, in the residual sugar in the Vin Blanc. On top of that, we do have a fourth series that's our estate most premium. Those aren't poured in our traditional tastings, but we have private events or through the mm-hmm. wine club access to those wines. And if we could touch upon real quick the signature series on the bottle and how it pays kind of homage to Thomas Jefferson. My father and my stepmother, and I believe Michael Shapps, um, were responsible for quite a big part of that. So the signature series uh, has the signature of Thomas Jefferson. We are uh, we have the rights to use his signature. We are the only ones who have that right. And it's I think it's a great homage to Thomas Jefferson, who played such a big role in, in pushing wine in this country mm-hmm. uh, forward. Um, and the, the, the bottle is aimed to look like a like an older Lafitte bottle, not quite the same way, but um, it's a very attractive packaging. And as Chris mentioned, it's a very, there are three premium wines. So, you know, we'd imagine Jefferson might have enjoyed drinking these wines as well. And 
as as you know a lot of our customers uh, really appreciate them and very very cool wines and I love the tradition that you're keeping with that so that's very cool uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, when we come back I want to talk just a little bit more about uh, future plans for Jefferson what does a 10-year plan look like and also uh, we'll let everyone know where to find you guys it's spring in Virginia and things are starting to pop especially corks April is Virginia Vineyard Month and it's a great time to get out and find your favorites Over 260 breathtaking vineyards are rolling out the welcome mat with special tastings, music, and local cuisine. There are world-class wines being made in every region of our state. Just go to virginiawine.org to plan your trip and start popping. Welcome back to the show. We have Attila Woodward and Chris Ritzkoven from Jefferson Vineyards in studio today. And we've been talking all about the history and the legacy of the estate and all of the really cool things you're doing in the winery as well as in the cellars. And uh, speaking of, um, you know, your family, Attila, you've been, your grandparents purchased the property almost 80 years ago. And you are one of the few wineries uh, to really kind of... um, set the stage for the growth and the quality revolution in Virginia back in the 80s. You've been, you know, doing wine for 36 years. So talk a little bit um, about uh, the quality, um, the quality role, the future of Jefferson, and what you hope to accomplish underneath your tenureship. Sure. So just to start with the past, my grandfather was educated in Paris. Uh, he's He was American. My father was educated in Paris. I was born in Spain. So we've had a lot of interaction with French and Spanish wines. And I think the two previous generations before uh, me and my siblings, their knowledge of wines contributed greatly to supporting an endeavor which was not financially feasible mm-hmm. for a long time. And that endeavor was Simeon Vineyards, which was later renamed Jefferson Vineyards. A lot of the big names today uh, in the wine world in Virginia, like uh, Gabrielli Rousey, Michael Schapp. Uh, we had other winemakers, Franz Vant, um, Andy Reagan, and now with Chris, have benefited from that environment, almost like an incubator of sorts. And of course, now we're at a different stage. Um, you just look at the brilliance of the names that you mentioned and what they've gone on to do to elevate the industry as well. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, this is a team effort. It's mm-hmm. a team endeavor. You know, it, we all need each other to, to move forward. But I just wanted to acknowledge that early on in the game, it was very frustrating because you planted something. You didn't know if it was going to work out. You'd have to plant something else. And so those early players alongside with us experimented a great deal. And, you know, we all benefiting from that knowledge. And there was a big realignment in 2013. And um, we we were very focused on making the business uh, uh, more profitable. Um, you know, we do all need to pay salaries and we all you need keep to... keep the lights on. <laughs> yes, keep the lights on, as you say. Um, and so we've been able to do that. Um, one of the great things that Chris hasn't mentioned is that, um, you know, we, we used to harvest about one ton per acre in our vineyards. And he's getting about three and a half tons per acre uh, on, a, on a very good year. So from the vineyards to the winery to the tasting room, um, we've really tried to keep what makes us unique. Part of that is the hospitality that we offer when customers come to visit. We've worked very hard uh, in doing that. Our general manager, Amanda Charette, has been fantastic with that endeavor. And Chris, as he mentioned, has been producing great wines. We've managed to keep the quality, I think, quite consistent. Um, We've won a lot of awards throughout the last few decades, um, and I think that's a testament for quality. We don't participate in a lot of wine competitions. We're very selective. But I think in the last four competitions, we've won golds, double golds. Um, and it's not just about collecting medals and accolades. It's about showcasing your credibility to the commitment of quality within your correct. vineyard, correct? Yeah, that that is correct. We also 
don't do weddings. Um, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, sure. but that enables us to really focus the whole effort on continuing to produce quality wines. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And Chris, you've been with Jefferson about 10 years now, right? Uh, what, what would you like to see as far as any anything that you'd like to see new plantings or anything you'd like to kind of experiment with in the cellars? Yeah, next week we will be planting Petite Mansing. Okay. It's a varietal that has done well in Virginia and is very versatile. You can make sweet wines. You can make very bone dry wines. And that's kind of cool what we're seeing. We're seeing more dry styles. It's been used for dessert wines in Virginia for a long time, but I know Michael Schaps and a few others are leading the way with that dry style. So it's exciting mm. to see the versatility of that grape. Yeah, that and I've been experimenting with, with oak and in the introduction of some Hungarian oak and different cooperages. Awesome. Well, I'd love to have you back on to actually do a whole show on oak because there's so much. I mean, that is literally, you could spend five hours or six hours talking about that and uh, we don't have quite time to get into that today, but it'd be really cool to have you back on and talk about that. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you both being with us today. So for those of you out there that have not been to Jefferson Vineyards or haven't been in a while, I encourage you go to go down and visit again. So please tell uh, the folks out there where they can find you online and uh, in, in person. Yes. Uh, our website is Jefferson Vineyards with an S. Uh, .com. Um, and if you go to the events section, you will see that we do have some music concerts uh, on Saturdays. And uh, we are located between uh, two presidential homes. Uh, actually, our land borders both of those homes uh, in different areas uh, between Monticello and Ashlawn. Uh, sorry, it's been renamed James Monroe's Highland. Okay, got to get that right, right? Yes, yes, it gets <laughs> me every time. There you go. Uh, well, it's jeffersonvineyards.com. I appreciate you both stopping by, Attila and Chris. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to having you back on uh, soon to talk about some other things in the wonderful world of wine. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'll be, with, I'll be back with you next Saturday, same time, same place. Cheers. Thank you.